Hello, and welcome to another David Watson podcast. Today, I spoke with Mike Rees. And initially, my interest with Mike was because he is currently campaigning to be my local Wiltshire Police and Crime Commissioner. And I wanted to know a little bit more about why he wanted to do that, what the role entailed. And then, by happy chance for me, as luck would have it, Mike also is a boxing trainer. And I was able to talk about boxing for a little bit. And really enjoyed it and very much appreciated his time. And if you are local in Wiltshire, I do hope you'll take the time to listen to this and everything Mike had to say. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. How are you? David, how are you doing? All right. I'm, I'm very well, very well. And thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate it. And I did explain just a little bit of how we got into this and... We then yeah. ran, randomly went off on our favourite subject of boxing. Um, yeah. we talk more about it? <laughs> yeah, we could actually just do a boxing podcast, you know. But I'm happy to just switch to a boxing podcast. But I did actually yeah. get you on here because you are campaigning to be the Wiltshire Police Commissioner. Is that correct? Yeah, Steve Swindon, the Wiltshire Police and Crime Commissioner. Yeah, um, the election's on May the 6th. And uh, yeah, I'm standing as a, an independent candidate in that election. Okay, so what actually does the police commissioner do? Because this didn't this come about in the noughties we started getting police commissioners. Well, it, I think it's about two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. Um, yeah. What used the police authority um, used to sit above police forces. Yeah, the Wiltshire had to police. Uh, I think it was Theresa May who was the Home Secretary at the time introduced. Um, the role of the police and crime commissioner. Now we could probably chat for quite some time about whether there should be a police and crime commissioner, but in my view, it certainly shouldn't be a political role. Um, the police service is supposed to be politically neutral, yeah. and uh, what Theresa May did was politicise the police, in my view. And for me, that uh, that doesn't sit very well with me. And having seen what's happened within Wiltshire Police, both both as, as a police officer and as a member of the public, um, as I have been for the last seven years, um, I don't like the way it's going. Now, the Police and Crime Commissioner, if I just explain what, what the role entails, or the very the basics of it, is you are there really uh, to represent the public of Wiltshire. Um, you're there to manage the police budget and you're there to hold the chief officers, the police management to account. Um, that, that, in a nutshell, is what the role, there, there's so much more to it and, and that would take some time. Um, so I just switched the light back on to have gone dark. That's right. <laughs> These things happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is, is what the role entails. And I haven't, uh, I haven't liked what I've seen uh, under, under the current Police and Crime Commissioner, with, with no disrespect to him as a person. Um, now, I can sit here and moan about it, or I can try to create change. Yeah. And so that's why I'm standing. I'm, I'm <laughs> if you're going to ask me, do I need to be, uh, do I need to be the Police and Crime Commissioner? Do I need this job? No, I don't. Um, I, I really enjoy what I do at the minute. I have a good life, and if I don't get elected, I can guarantee you I wouldn't lose a minute's sleep. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm putting myself out there as as an alternative to the public, really, to having a political uh, police and crime commissioner. Because the, the question I keep asking myself is, why does a politician want this role? And for me, and no one's really answered that question for me, and the only thing that I can think of is either to further their own political careers, yeah, uh, not necessarily in the best interest of the public of Wiltshire, um, or to exert political in, uh, influence from their own political ideals. And neither of those things really, as I said before, sit very well with me. So I'm putting myself up there as a candidate, um, as with everything I do, if I, uh, if I get elected and the people of Wiltshire decide they, they want me in that role, I'll give it 100%. Yeah. Um, if I get elected, I won't lose any sleep and I really enjoy what I do anyway. So, yeah. Because <laughs> that is an interesting one because up and down the country for many years now, um, uh, chief inspectors have often complained about politicians getting involved in police affairs. As in with like, look, letters by all means do your job, set the laws out in Parliament. But then let us, let us police the communities and allow us to make the decisions on how that is best done, not just from the public point of view, but how best to protect our officers who are out, out there actually having to do the job. Yeah. And, and for me, that's, that's, that's the, the PCC role, is very much taking care of what the public want, but also supporting the police service and being able to deliver what the public want and um they should have no um they should not be interfering in uh, operational policing um and, and i accept that that that's the the case however i think to some degree you have to do that because how do you know if you and this is where i think the police experience comes in um from from my previous occupation is how do you know when something's good, something's bad? Because you're just relying on what you're being told. Yeah. If you've no experience in that role, you'll just accept what you're told. If you have some experience, you can say, well, hang on a minute, that's not quite right. And you can challenge that. Um, so I'd certainly be looking to challenge um, some of the things that you know are going on at the minute, um, but not interfere in, in operational policing. And that's absolutely correct. That should be the case. Because it's, it's, it is difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, let's be very honest about this. Nobody becomes a police person. Oh, are you still with me? Oh, oh hang on, hang on. I, I, oh. Can, I can still hear you, so. Uh, yep, there we go. There we go, I'm back. Yep. Sorry, someone's trying. That's... <laughs> I'm on my phone, I have a laptop using my phone. No, look, like, like we said at the beginning, this happens a lot, so don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, being completely honest, nobody joins the police force because they want to be popular, right? Oh, sorry. So, yeah, so, so for people who aren't watching this on YouTube but listening to audio, what happens is when people try and ring my guests, it then diverts straight to their phone, <laughs> which is the great thing because I won't edit this out either. I'll let it run. Oh, you're alone. You're not going to leave me alone. Right. So, yeah, so what I was saying is you don't join the police force to be uh, for a popularity contest. No one joins the police thinking this is a great way to make friends. Right? Yeah. And with being a, uh, anybody in the police force knows that you get a lot of stick, especially for decisions yeah. you don't actually make. 
you know. Yeah. And the problem with being a politician is it's a popularity contest. So yeah. I, I'm with you. I don't see how it's in a politician's interest to become part of the police force unless you're trying yeah. to manipulate pop, uh, policy in a way that might make you appear popular. And, you know, I've, I've seen it happen. Um, if you look at the police station issue, um, Salisbury Police Station was closed down. A city like Salisbury hasn't got a police station. Yeah. I just I, I just find that incredible. You know, the, the officers are sat and staff sat at um, Bourne Hill, the council offices, yeah. which is totally um, unacceptable uh, in my view. Well, because it's I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I live in Ainsbury, and we have a police station still that's used, is used, but the public are not allowed to use it, but police officers yeah. use it. So you can't actually when you I think if you go down and use the phone, you go to Melksham or Trowbridge. Uh, that probably go to headquarters when yeah. you use the phone. Yeah, but uh, yeah. It, that whole decision to close Salisbury Police Station um, is just mind-boggling. Um, you know, it was turned into an educational establishment, uh, a UTC, which Salisbury didn't need because it already had a college. Yeah. And because uh, there was, I'm told, government influence uh, that that had to happen, it happened. And Salisbury lost its police station with no replacement, despite despite the promise of a replacement. And... Um, and now it's sat there like a great big white elephant. Um, yeah. I understand that eventually it's going to be a special needs school, which I discovered recently. And that's great. If that, you know, that, that's a good use for it. But for it to be sat there for God knows how long, I think probably over a year, um, when it was a, a functioning police station with a CID department, a traffic department, uniform response, to see it now is very sad. And and that for me is where political influence has um, well, that's what it's resulted in is Salisbury having no police station, and now we have further police stations. And just just the mind boggles. It does because I mean Salisbury is um, one of the largest cities in Wiltshire. Um, if actually it might be the largest because Swindon is a separate borough, isn't it? So to not have a a police station is is yeah. just comical and. I, I know from police officers that I know that just it's just the simple things like whenever you detain somebody, it's a 45 minute drive yeah. to a police station yeah. where they can be held. And when that comes to things like drink driving, if you get caught, <laughs> but, but it's, 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 I, you know, I won't, say, I won't, yeah, I won't say names because I do know a couple of police officers, but they're saying like, yeah. if you pull somebody over on the other side of Salisbury yeah, and, and they test positive uh, when they do a breath test. It's an hour before they can get them to a police station. And now I, I know this because a long, long time ago, I used to be an appropriate adult in West London. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I know, well, if that's an hour to get to the police station, that's going to be 30 minutes before they're then processed and in front of a calibrated machine. Yeah. Well, if you're slightly over the limit... An hour and a half later, you're playing sailor yeah. easily. Yeah, yeah. You know. And you know the the whole process of having to take them to Mel to Melksham is um, it's really put officers off uh, arresting people. If I'm honest, well, uh, and 
one of the officers in particular that, like I said, I, I won't name names, but said he said if you 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 know if they're just above a certain point, there's no point t- taking them anywhere because the likelihood yeah. is they'll pass by the time they get to Melksham and have been processed. He yeah. said, you know, he said you've only he said there's just no you can't get there any quicker, you can't process them any quicker. He said, <clears throat> and once you've done a few people, you realise well that hour and a half, yeah, they're yeah. going to pass their breath test by the time they get there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when I put posts out on Facebook, it's a big issue. The fact there's no there's no police station in Salisbury, and um, I understand the frustrations of the public down there. And really, I'm I'm really uh, disappointed that what happened did happen in, in its closure. Um, I I really think that it needs to be seriously looked at to to get a police station station down there. And um, people have said, well, what are you going to do about it then? Well, that's a really difficult question to answer uh, unless you're in the role and you can look at the police budget and see see what's about, see what's available finance-wise, if any, um, and look at alternative solutions. And um, But I, I've always gone by the maxim that every problem has a solution. Yeah, definitely. It may not, it may not be the best uh, option, but it, it has a solution of some description. And... Um, that's that's why I would work too. And anything I do, well, a lot of what I do is problem solving. So you know. Yeah. Well, it must be because when Salisbury was originally touted as the station was being shut down, it was going to be replaced. It was yes. So that money, uh, that money was somewhere. It might even have been spent on a replacement, but it never actually ended up in police hands. Should we say? I mean, that whole <laughs> that whole thing was a debacle. Yeah, uh, I know some people that were involved in the dealings around that, and they're they're not happy either. But um, I don't really want to say too much more about it than that without finding myself ending up in a in some litigation or something somewhere. No, I I kind of familiar with the process because many while they before they started the the Bourne Hill extensions, I used to actually work. It's ten years ago now. It's got to be at least ten years. Ago. I used to work at a day centre, which yeah. I, I can't, like you, I need to be very careful what I say here because I don't remember all of the details. But yeah. the day centre, I think, believe was sold by the council. There was a deal done that it would be replaced by the builders. They temporarily went into a, uh, a council building in Wyndham Road. And then yeah. n- now... Uh, Salisbury Leisure Centre in a shared space and the building that they used to be in at Old Serum has been knocked down and no one's built on that yet and it's like well what happened to the money and the deal yeah and yeah it all kind of seemed to have got lost along the way yeah and there's a lot of questions around a lot of expenditure over the last few and um for me, that's that's something that needs to be looked at, and um, I think there is a lot of wastage of money. You know, money is spent on good things as well, um, yeah. but there is a lot of wastage of money which could be diverted into policing and, and benefiting the public. Um, yeah. So, so was you a, p- a police officer previously? Then. Yeah, yeah, I did thirty years with uh, Wiltshire Police. Um, I know. <laughs> I know I don't look old enough. Def- uh, I can definitely vouch he doesn't look old enough. <laughs> um, so I, I actually joined when I was 18. Um, came up from Wales and uh, joined when I was 18. And looking back, that is a ridiculous age to join the police because you know nothing. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden you're thrust into this environment when you're uh, you're expected to sort out people's domestic disputes, you know, and uh, and things like that. So it was a very big learning curve for me. I was going to um, say, fortunately, the on-the-job training is quite steep. Yeah, you, you had to adapt quickly. And um, so I spent, I spent most of my early years in Swindon. Um, you know, I was really lucky in my service to, to do a number of different things, you know, um, community policing, um, response driving. Um, we had, um, for want of a better phrase, a vice squad in uh, Swindon that dealt with the issue of prostitution and you know, it wasn't Miami Vice it was Thames Down Vice yeah yeah so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did that for a few years did surveillance CID burglary squad uh, got involved in counter-terrorism in operations um, and then ended up as a detective inspector um, both on the CID and um, in drugs and drugs and gangs in the county which is my my final final role before I retired in 2014. Okay. Um, and, and literally finished on the Friday, wanted to do something completely different and work for myself. So started a business and I've not looked back since that time, really. So what's your business? All right, so I've got a few cleaning businesses, um, but the one that I predominantly um, work with is... Uh, it deals with vulnerable adults. Yeah. Um, so generally, we work a lot with social services and, and the NHS for people that are not particularly now during this pandemic, where they need to free up beds. Um, so if their property is has become unmanageable, shall we say, and yeah. it's a little grey, we go in and, and sort the property out and make sure it's you know that if they've got uh, mobility issues, they've got free access through the house, everything's tidy, everything's clean, sanitised. Um, uh, and that's predominantly what we do on a day-to-day basis. Um, and, and that's really satisfying work because, um, put the light back on, uh, really satisfying work because you can see uh, you can see how it's benefited someone and, yeah. and, and made their life better. Yeah, definitely. And I've got a great team, and I've literally just started a new business which sort of sits alongside it, supplying furni- recycled furniture to... People, people in that position, because a lot of the time we have to throw away their furniture, um, uh, re- to them and low-income families. So that's my two main businesses. Then, of course, I, I coach professional boxers, um, and I have my amateur boxing club as well. Although that's that's on hold at the minute until yeah. and measures are eased. Uh, and I run a, a children's charity for cancer. So. Oh wow! So yeah, you. So the interesting thing here is everything you do is community based. Yeah, and I've always. Um, yeah, I don't know whether. Well, yeah, I suppose. I, I like I like to help people. I'm, I'm not trying to put myself up as some sort of saint here because I'm not. You know, I, uh, my language is choice at times, and and I like to go to the pub and have a drink. You yeah. know, but uh, I'm saint, but I do. I'm very community spirited and, and like to help people. And that's one of the great things about boxing is you get people from all, all backgrounds come in. You know, you'll get people that have been in trouble with the police and you have to, it's not just about being a, a boxing coach. It's about being a life mentor and trying yeah, to definitely. Find, find a better life, a uh, better path in life for them. And um, under one particular case, I do refer to this quite a bit. You, you may have heard it before, but we had a lad come in in his mid twenties who 
constantly uh, you know, he had a real bad upbringing in fairness and mm. um but constantly being in trouble um and then uh, he, he started boxing for us he was doing really well and i found out that um he's perhaps been using some substances that he shouldn't have been using so i, I took him basically <laughs> got him to come around my house and, and, and read him his fortune and yeah. um and I said, why, why don't you consider joining the forces? I've never been in the forces, I've been in the police force, but why don't you consider joining the forces? And um, and he obviously listened because the next thing I knew, he, he was in to the Royal Navy. And, and then last year, just before the lockdown, I was fortunate enough to go and um, watch his pass out pray. Nice. In, and um, now he's, he's almost on the verge of working on nuclear submarines, you know, so... Uh, Things like that. Even like we've got autistic children in the gym. They're never yeah. ever going to be bo- never ever going to be boxers. But to get a phone call from their parent or grandparent thanking us for what we're doing and making a nice circle of friends for them, you know. Yeah. For me, that, that's as good as producing a champion boxer. That's as satisfying. So yeah, I am a community spirited. Yeah, especially I was going to say kind and nice then, but that's really sickly, isn't it? <laughs> but no, but th- there is something about um, every, people who are community spirited that there is a a common trait of they like looking out for other people. Do you know what I mean? They they because yeah. look, you, you you know. So j- just for reference, I, I've worked in care for since two thousand and five, two thousand and six. And I got into care because I'm an ex-offender. And the only place I could get a job, ironically, was working with young male adults who had head injuries because they were aggressive yeah. and nobody wanted to work with them. Well, what better than an ex-dickhead to go and work with people who's not, sca- <laughs> who's not scared of them? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, and if they start to say, shut up, mate. I've got a criminal record that's four pages long. Fuck off. Do you know what I mean? And they're like, oh, yeah, right. You know, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. there, there was nothing they had on me. You know? yeah. And there was a moment whilst... And the, the weird thing is, is I was already up in London, appropriate adult, before I got into trouble. So I was already helping people. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I, I just kind of... Like, like, you just do stupid things because, you know, sometimes you just have a wonderful month of being a dickhead, you know, and I just extended that a little bit. And... Yeah. But... There was a point when I was doing care work where I realised I was doing something nice for someone. Yeah. Who, it's actually they got a job, they rebuilt some friendships, they went back to college, and it's like shit. I had a part in that, and it's yeah. just like it's not a bad way to to make a living. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's there's yeah. very very few people can honestly say I've made the world a better place today. Yeah, and that's whenever you're doing something in the community, as corny as it can sound, like you say, it is. Yeah, but we are actually making the world a better place. We're just doing it from our doorstep. Yeah, and that sits and well think, with me. And I think you know that that's um, during this pandemic. I think a lot of that has spread through society in general. So I hope that when we come out the other side, society will be a better place. But, yeah. Um, you know, the, the helping your neighbour thing is really, uh, you know, looking after people has really become a big thing. And with mental health and everything else, that's going to be a massive issue um, when we're eventually through this pandemic. You know, you're going to need people to that you can talk to. And um, yeah. not, not just professional people, but 
someone who'll listen. And I've always been someone who listens. Yeah. So what drove you at 18 to leave Wales and become a police officer? Because at 18, that is young to become a police officer. Do you want, do you want uh, a politically, politically correct version or do you, do you want the actual version? It's, it's an adult <laughs> podcast, say what you want. <laughs> I was... Uh, <laughs> Okay, well, I, I was, uh, I just finished my A-levels. I didn't want to carry on with education, even, even though I had a place in, I think it was Buckingham University at the time. I just, I just wanted to earn money, and um, I didn't know what to do. And I literally walked into a job centre in Cumbran, which is where I was living at the time, and um, I saw an ad for a police officer who was, and I think it was something like 14,500 pounds a year. Nice. I, I thought, wow. Fourteen and a half thousand pounds. I never ever considered being a police officer till that moment, and I just wrote off to. I got turned down for Gwent because I was too short, because uh, I had a height restriction in those days, and um, and I was boxing at the time, so I was skinny as a rake. Yeah, and uh, and um, so I just wrote to five four. I didn't even know where Wiltshire was, if I'm honest. I just it just. <laughs> it, 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 I, you know, I've never really been out of Wales. You know, foreign holidays and that weren't a thing at that time, and. Uh, so I just uh, I wrote to about five nice sounding places. Uh, I know Cambridge was one, and yeah. Wiltshire, a few others I'd never been to. And Wiltshire were the first um, forced to offer me a, a job. And my my interview consisted of uh, what do you think of Frank Bruno? Uh, what do you think of Colin Jones, who was a Welsh boxer at that time? And oh, why do you want to why do you want to join the police? Oh, to help people, right? You're in. See that that's when interviews were proper interviews. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it doesn't matter what you say in the room, it's it's how you're gonna get on when we actually throw you in front of someone. <laughs> yeah. So um that's how I ended up in wheelchair in the police. Jesus. And were you boxing as a kid? Yeah, I mean, I, I started boxing when I was 11 years old. There, there wasn't a lot to do. Um, but, you know, I, I was living on a council estate. There wasn't a lot of amenities. And and a lot of my friends ended up, you know, in, in later life, ended up in prison. Mm. Um, I, I found boxing. Um, and, that, and that was my passion. And from the age of 11, um, if I'm honest, in my first four, five, six years, I, I was not very good. I lost most of my fights. I think I won about five of my first 30. Yeah. And it just clicked that I had to train properly and, and really knuckle down. And, and it just became an obsession. And, and then I hardly ever lost. And I had about 100 uh, amateur fights. And, uh, yeah, and won, won, the, won the Welsh title, uh, won various other titles. And um, one actually wanted when I came to Swindon as a, as a police officer, I wanted to turn professional in about, I think it was about 1990. I would have been okay. 20, 24, 25 at the time. And uh, so I, in those days, you weren't allowed, well, it's not too dissimilar now, you weren't allowed to earn money outside of the police force. Yeah. Uh, you had to get permission. And um, so I put a report into the chief saying what I wanted to do. And the, I remember his reply was uh, one sentence on a, on a, what we called a two, three, two form. And it says, uh, yes, you can be a professional uh, boxer, but you're not being a police officer as well. That oh. was it. That was it. That was it. My boxing career. <laughs> oh, wow. What, uh, what, uh, what weight were you when you were boxing? Um, well, when I was a world champion, I was at featherweight, which is what? Nine stone limit. Mm-hmm. Um, hard to believe now, I know. And, um, don't believe him, and folks. I, he looks as slim as ever. 
<laughs> when I uh, when I came up here to join the uh, the police, and I had a, I'd like a six month gap between us arriving and starting boxing again, and I, and I ballooned up to 10, 10 stone, so I was like light welterweight at yeah. that time. So boxing British police and, and went on international tournaments fighting for them. Um, yeah, so light welterweight when I um, called it a day. Because unless people are absolute boxing fans, um, Wales has an incredible amateur history for Welsh boxing. There's some amazing amateurs over the years. And yeah. if I've, if you go right back to the uh, the mining days, so, so, um, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and you know some, some of the Welsh boxers that came through the ranks and turned pro and fought in the yeah. States and places like that, there, yeah, there are Christ. some... Yeah. yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and in, in modern times, you've got, I think, who's the last one that I saw? Gavin Reese, I think, was the last. Yeah, uh, Newbridge. Yeah, Gavin Reese. Obviously, there was Joe Kawasaki. Um, yeah. One of my well, favorite I was, ones. I was, I was actually matched up to fight Joe Kawasaki um, a couple of times. Oh, right. Because he was, he was just starting out in his yeah. career as finishing. And um, luckily for him. Luckily uh, for him. Match- Luckily for him, the matches never actually took place. But um... <laughs> but you don't you don't know. Do you know what I mean? One of the arts yeah. of boxing is matching people at the right time, right place. You know, we yeah. would we were just talking about this weekend. You know, with Josh Kelly. You know, before we started yeah. the podcast, there will be a huge argument that you know is it? Um, I've forgotten how to pronounce the guy's name. S I N was it S I N? Evanescian. Yeah, Evanescian. Who's he's the European champion. You know, yeah. Josh Kelly didn't quite make the step up. You know, yeah. he went in favourite. Lots of things that people have said. You know, why he may or may not have won because he was the clear favourite. Got caught out in the later round. Was it just wrong time, wrong place? Yeah, yeah. there's always someone out there better than yourself. Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> many many a good fighter lost only because they just got old in the ring. Some of the yeah. best fighters that you'll ever see who've lost. It was just one fight too many against somebody who was just coming to their peak as you were just on the, you know, your peak was yesterday sort of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great sport and uh, I love it, you know. So, I'm in my downtime, watch boxing. So. Yeah, well, like I said, I, when we were talking before we started, I, I'm a big fan of IFL TV and I'm always listening to the interviews with Kudan Cassius and Kumar, talking to the yeah. trainers, the boxers and, and all the promoters. Who have you got in your gym at the moment then? I've got a uh, Sweden boxer, Beck Connolly, and I've got um, another uh, gent, I don't, don't want a name just yet, but it's mm-hmm. just come in. Um, but um, yeah, I've got, and I've got a few more um, knocking on the door. Um, I'm a little bit reticent, obviously, at the minute to take too much on, yeah. depending on what happens today. Um, but if I could earn, if I could be in the gym every day, yeah. um, the, the businesses and everything else that's going on, but if I get elected, then um, obviously I'll have to work uh, my boxing around, and um, my my businesses. Well, I'll have to find someone to run those. So yeah, I don't know, I've got things in hand <clears throat> for that eventuality. Yeah. And um, would you say you have any kind of genuine prospects? Um, I mean, Beck has, has been in with the best. Um, she was on um, in Sky Sports. Uh, just when we were on Sky October time. Okay. Uh, which, um, oh God, uh, Booth, uh, not, no, 
Sorry, I can't remember that. Scott, Ellie Scottney, Ellie Scottney. Um, and um, we got through the sixth round. Nobody gave us a chance. We got through the sixth rounds. But, you know, in, in women's boxing, they, there aren't many women boxers around. No, and, no. And she, she's been in with the best. <clears throat> and, you know, we've only started working together really since, I think, September, August, September time. And she's the only reason I got involved in professional boxing is um, I had no intention of doing that. But um, she came knocking on my door and um, she had an ambition to win a title. And I thought, well, I want to try and help you do that. You know, time will tell where that happens. But, um, yeah, she, she, you know, that if we got that opportunity, and we hope, you know, we have been discussing today with the AJ um, fight coming up in yeah. uh, June that we might have a potential of being on that show. Well, that would be a um, phenomenal undercard to be on. It would, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think crowds would possibly be better, or some some crowds would be yeah. back at that time. We'll make a difference because it was a bizarre experience um, fighting with no no crowd. Well, um, some people were saying the they reckon Josh Warrington, who fortnight ago lost, um, yeah, they reckon that was the lack of crowd because he's such a hometown passionate fighter. Yeah. And he's always got that right behind him, hasn't he? But he didn't have it this time. Yeah, and and there's a f- I've heard a few people say that um, they felt that that was a big part in him losing. You know. Yeah. And for yeah. people that don't know what we're on about, the AJ fight is the AJ, uh, is the Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury fight, which is technically scheduled for June, providing all things come off. Yeah. Which will probably be the biggest fight of the decade in terms of numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fantastic. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so so I got back and um, I've got uh, another lad. I said I want to name him no, just no, yet. for sure. Who, um, who's uh, you know he's got he's got a good punch on him, and um, we can do some work with him. Um, and I've got some other others wanting to turn pro, and I'm just debating as to whether it's the right time for them yet, especially with everything that's going on, because um, there's no um, small small hall shows at the minute. So we might just keep them as amateurs for a, a bit longer. Yeah, because it's difficult, isn't it? Because, like you say, there are no small shows on at the moment. And um, I was listening to the other day on the it was a boxing podcast. Is it Peter Murray? He was the king of the... Peter Murray. I'm sure it was Peter Murray. He was the king of the journeyman, he was called. He did 300 fights uh, as a journeyman. Uh, I can't remember his name, but yeah, I, know, I think I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was talking about, you know, the small shows and, how, you know, <clears throat> how he made literally made his living. Um, yeah, and you know the fights he felt he won, but wasn't the hometown guy, and he was there for a reason. You know he was there to lose, yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. like and it was a really interesting um, podcast. I'm trying to remember it was a guy Darren who was a middleweight, super middleweight. I can't remember his surname. Um, oh, sod it. But um, yeah, but it was listening to him talking about his experience of a journeyman and the small town yeah. shows and stuff like that, and he just like. Yeah, Christ, because I remember watching him back in the noughties on Sky fighting people like Naz. Uh, I think he yeah. fought Naz, I think he fought Steve Robinson. Um, he fought a yeah. few few guys, you know, who then went on to become world champions. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And he was yeah. the first guy to take Naz to distance, which I think was only six rounds at the time, but no one else had done yeah. it. It's still know. an achievement. <clears throat> well, he said the problem was after that, everybody wanted to stop him because they wanted <laughs> to do what Naz hadn't. <laughs> yeah. And when he said that, I thought, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's boxers. 
That's what boxers are like. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when are you hoping that they will start getting gigs back on? Uh, what shows? Yeah. Uh, um, in terms of amateurs, I can't see it before October. Um, the small hall shows, I, I really can't see it until until the crowd's about because promoters aren't going to make any money. No. So, and how many um, before lockdown? How many amateurs did you have in your gym? Just, 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 uh, just generally. <clears throat> well, we've got sixty something members, you know. Um, yeah. uh, so, of course, with lockdown, we had to cut that right down because yeah. we've got quite a gym. Um, so, a lot of people missed out um, uh, with being able to attend the gym. Um, so, I think we've got something like twenty, twenty-five carded fighters. Um, and we go to shows you know, generally every weekend all yeah. over the, all of it. Um, and yeah. what, what age groups do you take in? We'll take anyone from the age of eight. Below the age of eight, they, they just haven't got that um, ability to concentrate during yeah. the sessions. If, and if you're on your own coaching and they're zipping out the door, <laughs> um, it's <not laughs> yeah, but, um, not helpful. So from from eight onwards, we'll take them, and we've got boxes up to early thirties. Okay. But we'll, if people people want to just come and train, uh, age isn't an issue. No, I yeah. mean I I didn't stop training until what I'm forty six, forty seven in September. I didn't stop yeah. training until I was about forty one, forty two. Like I said, yeah. I was I was no good as a boxer, but I was I did. I must have been <clears throat> no, actually I might have been a bit older. Than that. I might have been forty four. I was still at Devizes. I've forgotten the name yeah. of the guy that run devices, and before that was in Salisbury. Paul. Sorry, Paul Wilkins. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Paul Wilkins. Yeah, and yeah. his his son Dean is it? Dean. Liam. Liam. Yeah, Liam. Blonde yeah. hair. Blonde hair lad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was only there for a few, kind of a few months. I was just I was getting out of shape, so I started going there because I I worked near devices, and it was I could just go straight after work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah. Uh... What am I now? Fifty-five. So I thought I'd be a bit of the kid. So you know, I've put a lot of weight on over the years, and uh, I thought I'd start getting into back into a bit of shape. And um, so I started to do a bit of sparring with the lads and stuff. And I, I was feeling particularly good one night, one evening, and um, I did twelve rounds straight off with various lads. <clears throat> Felt good at the time, you know. And uh, woke up a couple of days later. Woke up, thought, oh my, my ankle's a bit sore. Anyway, by the Sunday. I, I was I couldn't move. <laughs> I ended up, ended up in hospital with uh, I ruptured my tendons. But uh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, that was the last time I did do anything like that, and I've got to accept that I'm too old now. But I still, I, I still, I still miss it. I still miss. Boxing. I, I, I miss it ma- massively. The only reason I stopped going is because I was actually I realised I was much more unfit than I'd first given credit for. And um, I went running and rolled my ankle and just destroyed all my ligaments and pretty much could, couldn't do anything for about six months. And by that time, I just like, you know, you can't go back. Um, I was too out of shape. And yeah. But the last, about, uh, and the reason I knew I wasn't as fit as I thought I was is because I'd agreed to do some sparring. And, yeah. and it wasn't, um, do you know when you just do, um, I've, forgotten, I've forgotten the technical term for it, but everybody does a minute. And you do a minute, then they chuck someone in fresh, and you yeah, do a minute, yeah. and then you get chucked out, and another person. So yeah. everyone gets a minute fresh and a minute tired. We were doing that, yeah. 
And I remember, um, and it was, you know, it was good fun. Everybody was, you know, everybody was nice about it. Nobody was trying to sort of show who was the best. Yeah, you know, it was all just some good, honest sparring. And I remember this kiddie getting in, and he was about 18. And I reckon I had about three stone on him. And (laughs) you you could tell that he boxed at national level. And and that I boxed like an idiot. Because he was very generous to me. But I didn't get close to him, not for a split yeah. second. And he just pitter patted, jabbed in and out, and just just for fun. And I'll give yeah. me, I'll give him credit where credit's due. He didn't he didn't take me to town or anything like that. But he was yeah. just he was a spring chicken to my breeze block feet. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it just didn't matter what I did. He just wasn't yeah. there. You know, I, I threw a jab. He wasn't there. I moved to my left. He was already on the right. It just, I had no, I had no answer for anything. He was just too young, too talented. Yeah. He was everything yeah. I wasn't on my best day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so my answer to that was right. You need to get out running, get yourself fitter, get yourself, you know, because my pride, my pride, yeah. was, my pride wasn't too yeah. hurt, but I realized that some of the flaws were just, I was a bit too unfit and went off running <laughs> and rolled my ankle and had a one mile walk home with a broken ankle. <laughs> I think we need to learn to accept when it's over, don't we? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what my that's what I gently came to terms with is that um, yeah, yeah. my best days were about twenty years behind me. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, but um, just because I am conscious of time, um, before we go, just once more, could we just go through the Wiltshire Police of Swindon, Wiltshire Swindon and Police Commissioner? Is it? The Police and Crime Commissioner for Swindon and Wiltshire. It's a good job I, I had you want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and just where where the mo- voting is in May? Did you say May the sixth? Sixth of May, yeah. Sixth yeah, of May. So, and it like a, a, a an all. I think the local council elections are on um, that time as well. So it's at polling stations. You can do postal votes. That will all be coming out um, in the near future. Uh, all that information. But um, you know, it's all I all I promise to do is to do my best for the public of Wiltshire. Uh, you know, I don't see how any politician can make any promises of any description or come up with any strategies or policies that they're going to implement, um, because the culture is, of the police at the minute is so demoralised. Nothing's going to work until that's sorted. Yeah. No matter what your policies and your strategies are, it's not going to work until that is sorted. And so that is what I'd be looking to encourage the Chief Constable to sort out. Okay, that's perfect. And last question before you go AJ or Fury? Now, I'm not a big Tyson Fury fan, In, in although I have warmed to him um, recently through, through his teleprograms I, I think Fury I think Fury uh, yeah for me Fury would win it what on points I think I think you knock him out or stop yeah. it stop him yeah yeah but having said that AJ's a very dangerous fighter and with, with a hell of a punch so you know you never know I'm going to say I, my, the, so this is my thing is I think if AJ can has the tank for it and can be physical, 
I think he'll stop Tyson. But you're, he's going to have to chase him down. Yeah. He's not going he's... to out... He won't outbox Fury. Nobody will. Yeah. But, but he's... It'll be a hell of a fight. Yeah. And, <laughs> and for me, Andy Joshua is the better athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, for the size of Tyson, he's... Um... He's always done well in his previous fights and he's stamina-wise. So, the, the, This is why I say I think Fury, uh, sorry, Joshua will need the tank. He'll need a good engine in it yeah. because yeah. he, Fury is deceptively fit. He doesn't look it, yeah. but like you say, yeah. never has stamina issues ever. Yeah. And, but Anthony Joshua, it's, it's a good, it could be a great fight because it's a genuine 50-50 one. Yeah. But I just think if, Anthony Joshua has the engine and can keep it physical and chase Fury down, he'll beat him. But otherwise, he'll just get outboxed for 12 rounds. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love to be on that show. So, Beck Connolly. Yes. AJ, get your girl to fight Beck Connolly. And that is a great place to stop. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, David. It's been a pleasure.